My brothers, I bring you greetings from your siblings in Christ at St. Peter's Anglican Church in Birch Cove, a place where I have called home for a couple of years. Uh, and I want to thank you all for inviting me to come here uh, today to offer some, some few words uh, to you today. Uh, it, it is an honor to be amongst you. Uh, I want to commend Don uh, for his tenacity and his resolve in ensuring that I have had the opportunity to come and speak with you today. Uh, Don had to chase me to, for quite some time uh, to nail me down. Uh, that would work for me, for my life, uh, for my family's situation. Uh, though it seems to me that if, uh, if Don wants someone to be here, uh, I think the phrase, you can run but you can't hide, <laughs> is probably the most appropriate one. Uh, but thank you, Don, for your steadfastness, your resolution to see me here. Thank you, gentlemen in the kitchen. Fantastic breakfast. In preparation for this opportunity, I took the liberty of examining your website. That's where everyone goes when they want to know anything about you, is your website. Your website is for visitors, not for your people. Just keep that in mind, okay? Um, and in that website, I found, because I wanted to find out in whose footsteps I, I stand uh, in, your, in, in your existence. Now, on, on your website, you have documented 10 years of, of the people who have stood here in front of you. Uh, and that means you've had 100 speakers in that time. One cancellation, two times without a speaker, where various members offered their own uh, words. Uh, you've been brave enough to have some of my own Anglican colleagues come uh, and address you, and I am humbled to be counted among those people. You have set for me, though, a task that I, in all honesty, have a bit of a difficulty uh, performing, because it is not something that I have ever really done before. I, I've never, okay, well, I've stood in front of people before. Um, but I, I've, never, I've never been asked and I've never offered uh, to, to give a, a personal testimony. It's not really something we Anglicans do, well, at least the Anglicans I hang out with do very often. Uh, and in, in most times it doesn't go very well. Uh, I mean, I've offered words uh, in, in, in my 15 years of ordained life um, many times. Uh, those moments were times when I was preaching or teaching. Uh, my, my preaching does include uh, things about myself, but they, are, they never go beyond 12 minutes. 12 minutes, that's all Anglicans ha can handle, 12 minutes, okay? Uh, and, and when I teach, I, I normally teach by involving the people I'm, I'm teaching with. Uh, so I've never really been asked to or, or offered a, a personal testimony per se. Um, it's always been my hope that my testimony is evident in the way I live my life, my vocation, and the way I, I attempt to follow my Lord's example. So not really knowing what to do here, I was heartened when Don gave me some direction, though Don did give me that direction yesterday. <laughs> as to what you all might be expecting. Now, I'm not sure I'm going to keep you for a half an hour. You'll be thankful. Uh, but let's see what happens. So let's start where all good stories start. 
In the beginning. I was born. I was born in God's beautiful country of Cape Breton. Nice. Very good. Very good. Uh, don't get ahead of me, are we? Okay. Oh, good. I'll keep my eye on you. I will. Keep my eye on you. Now, it's been said that there are two ways one can become a Cape Bretoner. You are either born there or you die there. That's the only way you can become a Cape Bretoner. Some people say, oh, I'm a Cape Bretoner and they've only lived there for 50 years. Well, if God is good to me, and God usually is good to me, then I will be blessed to do both of those things. I was born uh, in Sydney, in Sydney City Hospital, to be exact. Hospital doesn't exist anymore, it's gone. Uh, Two blue-collar workers, my dad a laborer and then a milkman. You know, they used to deliver milk door-to-door. Did you, did you, like, wow. Well, he wasn't in a horse and cart. No, he's not, my dad's not that old, okay? He's not that old. No glass bottles either. I never delivered a glass bottle, thank God. Uh, You're younger than I am. Yep. <laughs> my, uh, my mother uh, is a registered nurse, and they moved to Cape Breton just before my birth, and they moved there for work. Nobody does that, but my parents. <laughs> they moved there for work. Uh, and, but those were the good old days in Cape Breton when there was work. I spent the bulk of my early years growing up in the house uh, that my parents built when I was uh, a young child, about six years old. Uh, they built it in Sydney Forks, where the Sydney River forks. Amazing. Uh, it, 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 but it was as a small child that I had my first nudge toward what it is that I do with my life now. Uh, As a child, probably no older than seven or eight, I recall kneeling next to my mother at Christ Church in Sydney as she awaited her communion, and I awaited a blessing from the priest because in those days the Anglican Church didn't give children communion unless you were confirmed. That's a practice that we have abandoned, thank God. But as I waited, I saw a teenage boy sitting inside the rail uh, of of this church, wearing really weird clothes. What I later learned, he was wearing a cassock and a surplus. So while I knelt there obediently, that teenage boy and I made eye contact. And he winked at me. I was speechless. (laughs) To be thought of by an older boy, worthy of a wink, set me into fits of joy. It was, I was I was in awe of what had just transpired. And on the way back to our pew, I said to my mother, that boy up there, what's he doing? And she looked back and she said, oh, uh, he's a, a server, dear. Uh, and I said, can I be a server? And she kind of looked quizzical and went, oh, yes, dear, when you're older, if you want to. Well, I did want to. And when I was older, I reminded my mother of this, and she ensured that I was presented to the priest for training. I was indeed trained, became a server, and then on the Thursday before I was to serve for the very first time, 
Christ Church burned to the ground. <laughs> now, some may take this as an omen <laughs> that perhaps I was moving in the wrong direction, but not me. No, sir. No, I pressed on. I started serving at the altar. Uh, we moved into the hall while they rebuilt the church. Uh, and it was there that I felt completely comfortable. Being near the altar felt right to me. Felt like where I belonged. And I was encouraged by my parish priest at that time. And then at the ripe old age of 14, my grade 9 English teacher asked us all to do that fateful essay, what I want to be when I grow up. And for me, there was no debate. There was no soul searching. There was no question. There was no struggling to come to a decision. I wanted to be a minister. What? I had absolutely no idea what that meant. <laughs> I had no concept of what it is to be a member of the clergy, what they do on an ongoing basis. Do you know what I do on an ongoing basis? Come and hang out with me for a day and you'll find out. <laughs> All I knew is at that time I had a deep-seated yearning to find out what that crazy man in the funny clothes at the front of the church did. So thus began this long road toward, toward what I thought was a goal. Ordination. I came later to realize that I was not on a road that ended an ordination. I was on a long, winding, difficult road that only began on that day, just over 15 years ago. So I studied English at the University of King's College. You know, an English degree, you can use that, right? You can get a job with that. <laughs> no. Maybe you can go on and become a priest, I guess. So I earned a bachelor's degree at King's where I met the woman who would become my wife, Wendy Faye Harrison was her name at that time. She grew up over in Birdland on Blue Jay Street. And I went on to begin studies uh, for a Master of Divinity at Atlantic School of Theology. And I started that degree in 1991. Now those of you who are good at math, you heard me say I've been ordained for 15 years. 1991 wasn't 15 years ago, was it? All was going along really smoothly. And then I learned that sometimes life throws us curveballs. I married that woman, Wendy Faye, Wendy Faye Harrison, who became Sightman, in 1992. And in 1993, barely a year into our young marriage, she became very ill. And I learned all too quickly what in sickness and health really means. I had to leave school to support her, and my road to ordination became longer. I entered the workforce. Uh, I did security guard work. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> and then I went to work in retail, mostly uh, newsstands, coffee shops, things like that. My last job was with Atlantic News over on, uh, on Queen Street in Morris. You know where that is? Go buy all your magazines over there, boys. All right, go over there. They're amazing people. It wasn't until 2001 when I was once again able to take up my studies. Things had 
calm down in our life, and it was time to get back at it. Now, the whole time that I was away from my education, I never, I never wavered in my resolve to continue, uh, even at 3 o'clock in the morning in the middle of an empty parking lot, making sure this empty building was secure, I knew that I was on a road. The road had diverted a bit. I finished my Master of Divinity degree in 2004. At long last, I had reached the end of the road, only to discover that the road stretched out before me. And it was bumpier and harder than any road I had ever trod before. In June 2004, I was appointed as rector of the parish of Niels Harbor within Ganesh, in northern Cape Breton. A parish I had always wanted to serve. I'd always wanted to be there as their priest, much to my bishop's relief. <laughs> I said, when it was time for me to look at my first parish, I said, I see that Niels Harbor is vacant. And he went, it is. I said, I think Wendy Faye and I would like to go there. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I think he was having a little trouble filling that particular appointment. I was ordained a deacon in June of 2004, and in November of that same year, I was ordained a priest. The people who live north of Smoky are an amazing group of people, brutally honest people. You never have to worry about what they're thinking. They'll tell you. <laughs> and I appreciate about that about them. You do something new or weird or something unusual, they will tell you, that sucked, but. <laughs> Okay, I guess we won't do that again. <laughs> and they taught me a lot about what it means to be a priest and to live this vocation. And I like to think that I taught them a lot of what it doesn't mean to be a priest and live this vocation. What I mean by that is I try to seek out those old and odd and horrible stereotypes about the clergy and the church and then tear them apart. I do my best to, to remind the people I serve that I'm a human being. We people who are ordained, we're humans, right? You, you, you get that, right? I know there's a couple of my ordained clergy friends here in this room. We're human beings with human feelings, human failings. I enjoy good food. Bacon. Oh, boys, the bacon. Thank you. <laughs> I enjoy a good drink. Scotch. Just any scotch you want to give me, I'll take. <laughs> Except blends. I don't like blends. It's got to be single malt. Anyway, because I might be easy, but I'm not cheap. <laughs> Occasionally, I even say words that are not used in polite company. Ooh. <laughs> I had opportunity to sit with a new priest. Uh, this past week, whom I had met when she was a teenager at a, at a national youth event. You ever want to feel old, you meet somebody who was a teenager many years ago and now they're a priest and you're like, oh God, how can you be that? <laughs> she said to me, uh, I thought you were the coolest priest I'd ever met. I went, oh, sweet. I said, why? She said, you were laid back and you swore. <laughs> I remember so clearly the first time I was on the fishing wharf in Niels Harbor with the boys who had 
no idea what to do with me. Uh-oh, boys, watch out now. Here comes the priest. Watch what you say. <laughs> to which I would say, well, something quite rude. <laughs> and invariably, one of them would say, are you allowed to say that? And I would answer, I think I just did. <laughs> one of those conversations would, the, the men would learn a little bit more about me, that I might be a human being. And out of those conversations, the men of that wharf learned that I was someone who could be trusted. And, and indeed, many of them came to see me for counsel and for care. And when their loved ones died, they knew who would be with them. Most times they would come to me and say, Saw you having a beer with the boys, boy, down to the Legion. Loved that. Why didn't God can trust you? In all that I do, I strive to keep before me some words that are spoken uh, in, in every Anglican ordination uh, these days. Where the bishop, after your ordination and you're vested as a priest, uh, looks you directly in the eye, holds you by the hand, and says these words. Do not forget the trust committed to you as a priest of the church of God. Trust is often hard to earn and it is easily lost. But trust is what this vocation is all about. And I'm not just talking ordained or vocation, Christian vocation. I've served in four parishes now during my 15 years of ordained life. After four and a half blessed years in northern Cape Breton, I spent two very difficult years in New Glasgow. Then felt called to the wilds of Upper Canada where I spent six and a half years in Burlington, Ontario, doing primarily youth and family ministry. I was apprehensive about going to Ontario. I'm just a simple Cape Breton boy. What am I doing in the greater Toronto Hamilton area? I often said, well, many Capers find themselves in the big smoke. And I perpetuated that particular regional stereotype and I moved my family to the concrete jungle that is Southern Ontario. My years there were very fulfilling, both vocationally and personally. But then in April 2016, I had to put my very marriage vows in sickness and in health to work once again. Wendy Faye was diagnosed with third stage triple negative breast cancer. She was aggressively treated because she was young and it was an aggressive cancer. So she had heavy doses of chemotherapy radical surgery, and 25 courses of radiation therapy. What in the medical field they call, and I don't think they say this to many patients, poison, slash, and burn. These were difficult days, to be sure, but we were well supported by the members of that community. Near the end of her treatment, however, I was informed that my position at the parish I served was to be terminated. When money raises its ugly head, youth ministry is the first to die. And I got laid off, perpetuating yet another regional stereotype, a Cape Bretoner without work. And I had to begin the process of seeking another position to live out my vocation. After much discussion and prayer, we decided that it was time to come home. Come back to where we belonged, closer to family and dear friends. I treasured my time in Burlington. The men there 
taught me how to drink scotch. God bless them. <laughs> I learned so much from them, not just how to drink scotch. And I miss them dearly. So back to Nova Scotia, we came with a new appointment at St. Peter's, Birch Cove. We were getting all settled in, enjoying being back home. I forgot how much I missed Halifax, Dartmouth. Oh, God, I miss this place. When last Christmas Eve, we received the devastating news that Wendy Faye's cancer had returned with a vengeance. It aggressively infested her lungs, liver, and spine. It tore through her very quickly. And on March 9th, a few short days from her 50th birthday, she was gathered into heaven and she died. Now those of you who have lost a spouse, you know how traumatic this is. We'd been married for just over 26 years. With all that that meant, all the good times, all the bad times, all the joys, all the sorrows, all the life we weathered together. We were lovers. We were great fighters. And through it all, we were in each other's corner. And when the chips were down, what do we bet the farm on each other every time? And this brings me, my dear friends, to what I would really like to talk to you about today. So many times in my ministry and in my life, I have heard people say to the recently bereaved some unhelpful platitudes, like, well, God will never send you more than you can handle. You heard this before? Bullshit. <laughs> I said it. In my stereotype breaking fashion, I do my best to stamp that out. Saying this tells people that it is God who sent that cancer and killed my wife. And I can't accept that. I think that it is life that sends us these things. God did not give my wife cancer. Life did that. Life throw things at us without regard to our feelings or our situations. Life is hard. No two ways about it. Anybody who tells me their life is easy, that's a lie. A dear former mentor of mine once told me, Elliot, no one ever promised you a pony. And she was right. Nowhere are we promised a life of ease, a life of comfort, a life free of grief, a life that never has bad things happen to us. Nowhere in scripture is this written unless the author is speaking about the afterlife. So life does throw us things that we cannot handle all the time. What we are promised, though, is that God will be with us through it all. God sits with me in the dark of my pain and weeps alongside me. God feels this pain of loss I endure and holds me up through it. Our Lord doesn't promise us an easy ride, but God does promise to be on that ride over every bump, every pothole, every rickety bridge. For me, I feel the presence of God in all those people who support me and care for me. 
I feel the presence of God in every card, in every letter, in every visit, in every casserole, and yes, in every bottle of scotch that my friends and my family and the parishioners in my place of worship bring me. The people of my parish have been the beloved presence of God to me in my grief, and I can never thank them enough. They went behind my back to the funeral home and paid for the funeral. Now that is quite a gift. And as rector, I had to say to them, where the hell is that money coming from? (laughs) That's not in our budget, because I know our budget pretty well, thank you very much. And that ain't there. And they looked me right in the eye and they said, so we go in the red this year, so what? I said, you people have been listening to Jesus too much. (laughs) Through them I know that God is with me in this life because God is in all people. I can feel the presence of God right here in each of you. I can see the presence of God right here in each of your bright, shining faces, yes, even yours. (laughs) this is what I hope living my testimony shows all the people that I encounter on a daily basis this is why I put myself in unlikely places to show others that God is already there this is why I take my, my little sign. Some of you might have seen me on the front cover of the, of the, the I almost said the Cape Breton Post, <laughs> of, the, of the Halifax Herald. You know, it was about a year ago. Uh, they did an article on me. I, I go to coffee shops with a little sign that says free prayer and sit down and wait. Most days I sit there all by myself and read a book, but sometimes people sit down. And I take that little sign and I hang out in coffee shops in the hope that I can let others know that they are not alone. They're not alone in this world because God is with us, Emmanuel. I urge you, my brothers, to constantly seek our Lord in every person you meet. I encourage you to be the presence of our Lord to everyone you meet. Everyone, even the ones you don't like. Especially the ones you don't like. I hope and pray that we can all be stereotype destroyers and let this troubled world know that God loves us all. This is why Jesus came among us as a baby. This is why we celebrate Christmas. To live our life, to share our existence, to know our sorrows and our pains, to remind us all that God is already there. Thank you, my brothers, for this opportunity to share this part of my road with you all. I hope you all have a blessed, happy Christmas, filled with the experience of the living, loving God, and being the experience of the living, loving God. Thank you very much.